Yeah. I'm my, here. For you. I'm helping. My you. brain just farted. You know. My kids are starting to call me on phrases like that. They're like, "What is? This? What do you mean your brain farted?" <laughs> yeah, that's like, a, that's other negative content, Jake. Other <laughs> negative content. Bathroom humor. Bathroom humor. Although it doesn't have to be done in the bathroom, as I well know, working with you. What is that supposed to be? <laughs> I think I'm being slandered live on air. <laughs> live on air. What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy and know-it-all. And back inside, our crazy cabin fever brains. Crazy cabin fever is right. Oh my goodness, man. I'm Jake. I am Paul. And Paul, how many days have you spent inside your house as of today when we're recording? Like, where I haven't left the house? Uh, Yeah, or like... If if you went out for a walk, I'm not counting that. I'm just saying, okay. like you're not you're not going to work. You're not going to do your uh, so we're YMCA our... germ yeah. fest running. Yeah, all the YMCA's have closed, which is not good for my running. I have gotten out a couple of times to run, which I've been very happy about. But yeah, so I'm starting out my second week. We're now into our second week of being off from work. Not off from work we're still working like crazy but you know at home so so and you jake is uh is life greatly different for you as well it uh it both is and isn't in the weirdness of being somebody who works remote already who has uh who already homeschools our four kids or i guess the oldest three at this point um <laughs> The it's weird because the meat and potatoes of our schedule is normal, you know, because we already are at home for work. We're already at home for school. So it's not like that's being disrupted. Uh, but all the extra stuff that we use to get out of the house is. And so it's a, a weird space where we're less affected, I think, than many people. But mentally, we've built we you know, we worked really hard at. Uh, having these opportunities to get out of the house, to be involved in sports and swimming and dance and uh, time with other people, community. And now that's all been taken away. It's all gone. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's, it's very surreal because uh, so much hasn't changed, but we know it is for other people and we know our niceties have been impacted. And so it's just a, it's a very odd mental place to be in. We're finding. It really is. It really is. It's, it's, you know, and I think we're all sort of walking the line between it being annoying and scary, you know, because, because when you have so many things taken away from you, of course, there's going to be some inconvenience, but it, it does feel just, you know, I'm, I'm like five times as old as you are, Jake, and I've never gone through anything like this. So it's a little bit unusual for me. And so I know a young pup like you has got to be, you know, thinking what's going on is this, are we going to have something like this every 10 15 years from now on history is littered with way worse <laughs> problems but it is weird to be actually going through one yourself it almost feels like uh 
watching a movie in some ways as you kind of, but then it sort of weirdly becomes uh, the, oh my gosh, another brain fart, the Jim Carrey movie where he's, <laughs> where his life is being filmed and then yeah. he, he suddenly runs into the wall and reality rushes into his fabricated reality. Why can I not remember the name of this movie? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. The Truman Show, you, right? Truman Show. Yes. Uh, where you feel like almost like you've been in a bubble before uh, as you've been watching the news about coronavirus and now all of a sudden it's real and it's in your face and you're like, oh, I thought this was, I thought I was in, I was okay. I was in my little bubble. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Yeah, what, what the image that just came to my mind was, you know, Lord of the Rings, the two towers where you see the storm starting to come. You know, I think that's that's sort of the period that that we're in. We know that it's really serious in a lot of places, but I don't know if we really understand or know even how serious it could be until, you know, a couple of weeks later when the storm really comes. And so it's yeah. it's just a weird time. It's a weird time. So but we're still talking. We're still watching movies because that's what we do. That's right. And I had told you explicitly a couple of weeks ago that I, I didn't want to talk about this, but now here we are <laughs> talking about this because it's inevitable. There's no uh, way you can get around it. But we wanted to at least uh, or uh, redeem some of the time, as it were. Q Paul. Redeem some of the time. What am I supposed you, no. to say there? Am I supposed to yeah, say? Yeah, we want to talk about certain... some of the fun, some of the fun movies, Jake. Oh that yeah, you can use that you can watch during this time, so it's not all terrible. <laughs> Is that what we're doing first? Is we're we're doing the the good movies to watch? No, I was I wasn't necessarily saying. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a Vondruk! <laughs> I got a little lost there. I'm sorry. I wasn't saying that was the order. I was just starting to preview where the rest of the show oh, was okay. overall. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about movies. <laughs> we're going to be talking about a lot of movies that are streaming right now that you can run to your TV and watch. And they'll be great. <laughs> including, be great. including the main one we're talking about, which is, Jake... The Kid. But not Bruce Willis's The Kid. I didn't even know Bruce Willis made the kid. What? You didn't know Bruce Willis no. was in the kid? No. Well, see, that uh, that would have been, I guess, your kid's time. Um, that it was the year 2000 when the movie The Kid with Bruce Willis came out and was a movie about uh, how this kind of unhappy and grumpy, not very well-liked uh, adult man uh, is mysteriously confronted by an eight-year-old version of himself. That actually sounds and sort of like this podcast. So, oh, I'm 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 the eight-year-old version of you. Yeah, yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yep, you're welcome for this new lease on life that I'm giving you. Oh my goodness! Not doing this face to face is a little strange, Jake. I, it's very strange. So you can't tell like when I'm being jokey. Yeah, it's it's just a little bit surreal. So, no, we're not talking about the Bruce Willis version of the kid. At least that's not the one that I watched. The no, Charlie Chaplin original. 
the great silent movie version of the kid. And correct me if I'm wrong. You said this is the first Charlie Chaplin movie you've ever watched. Is that right? First Charlie Chaplin movie I've ever watched in my life. And I'm a movie critic. That is insane. Oh, and you've watched all of them? I've not watched all of them, but I've seen more than you have. Hmm. All right. Well, twice we'll as many. Later. Twice as many twice as you as have. Twice as many. Now. Now you have. <laughs> uh, but that's right. We wanted to take this time. We wanted to dive into those things that are available to you during your COVID-19 pandemic, shut-in, shelter-in-place, safe-at-home, safer-at-home lockdown, quarantine, whatever you're calling it. We're going to be talking about, we're going to be listing some great options for you that we think will be good for your mental health, or at least that's how I picked my list. But we're also going to be diving into 1921's The Kid. Here we are in the backlist hall of shame. What we're cleaning up today is Paul's shame for having never seen a Charlie Chaplin movie, as mentioned elsewhere on the show. Paul, how does it feel to finally be slightly more (laughs) shame-free? Slightly more shame-free. Slightly less shamed. You know... I have to say, I was not going into this uh, particular backlist uh, event of ours with a great deal of excitement. Um, I have actually, let's just set the record straight, Jake. I have actually seen way more silent movies than you, but Charlie Chaplin just wasn't one of them. And I don't know why. I guess I never really got too jazzed about his his main character the tramp and so it just never never really thought that that it was something i wanted to watch on this friday or saturday evening but i have to say that i was uh i was pleasantly surprised well what what surprised you about it you know what it surprised me how good and relatable it was and yet well i've got i've got two prongs here Okay. So one, I think that um, The Kid was made in 1921, and it features Charlie Chaplin's main character, The Tramp. Um, he is, the, the character himself is always sort of a downtrodden, poor individual who's sort of scraping by by the skin of his teeth, always getting in trouble with police, always, he's almost sort of like a Bugs Bunny character, would you say? I mean, it, it, he almost feels a little bit like that. And... Uh, mm. And in this particular movie, he gets connected with this little kid. He literally picks this baby off the street and, uh, and eventually is, is sort of forced slash encouraged to take him home um, and raises him to a five-year-old little boy who helps him on his little escapades. Um, so that's sort of the main backstory The the mom is still in the picture in a way, the dad is still very ancillarily sort of floating around and the movie starts off by saying, this is a film that has perhaps a smile and perhaps a tear. 
And it really did have a strange, bittersweet quality that I wasn't expecting. You know, when when I when I think about the Tramp, I think about um, kind of slapstick comedy, and there is a lot of that in here. But you have a lot of pathos, you have a lot of emotion, um, and I think one of the reasons is is because this five year old kid, he, the the actor's name is Jackie Coogan, did a fantastic job of sort of emoting and showing the emotions that that a kid would would experience in some of these some of these moments where he's being torn away from from the tramp, the Charlie Chaplin character. So so in that way, I thought that it was surprisingly emotionally complex from what I have seen in most other silent movies. Yeah, and in a it was definitely that was unexpected for me as well. I think when I thought when you think of Charlie Chaplin, I think you tend to think of more straight comedic and slapstick humor, which is certainly there in the kid, uh but I was not ready for really sort of the the dark emotional right. places that it went. Right. Um and though uh, interestingly, in context of what we were talking about previously with the coronavirus, it's not entirely dissimilar to the dark places we find ourselves looking for redemption in in our current uh, entertainment context, I think. Well, now unpack that for me a little bit, Jake. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, so uh, a lot, it's been talked about a lot more frequently with uh, in the news in regard to the coronavirus is of course the uh, colloquial call colloquially, I cannot talk uh, the co- <laughs> what's commonly called the Spanish flu pandemic right. of 1918 that kind of ran through, you know, 19 it really started in probably 1917 and largely ran into 1920. Um, so for years it circled the globe and wiped yeah. out tens of millions of people. Horrible, horrible, horrible on the heels of world war two, it's, or I'm sorry, world war one, you know, it started during the war and um, kind of kept going. And it was really, you just think about those two things coupled together, the world coming out of this horrific, devastating war, and then being brought to its knees by this uh, flu virus that was killing, you know, young people as much as it was killing old people. Yeah. And it was a it was a dark time, even though there there was some hope that the war was over. It seemed like that might have been blotted out by this type of virus. And yet you have these people trying to make entertainment. You know, movies were a burgeoning format. And yeah. the the kid came out in 1921 right on the heels of both of those immense huge, travesties. Huge events. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so it had me thinking about how that bittersweet of that time was, you know, uh, lar- I, w- I have to imagine largely impacted by what they were going through. Yeah, no, I think that's really true. And I think that um, it's interesting. I was just doing another podcast, actually, where I was talking about um, how movies have always sort of been a little bit of a of a salve for difficult times. You know, the, the golden age of movies took place in, in right during the middle of the great depression and at the beginning of the, of world war two. And I think that you see, you see some of that within, within this movie. I think you're absolutely right. Um, one of the things that actually struck me about it is how, um, how close it felt 
to the 19th century and how far removed in some ways it felt from our own time. I mean, I, I think that when you talk about what people sort of the, the, the struggle that you saw within, within the kid, it felt almost like when, when you watch the movie sort of go, um, it almost felt like a third world country. You know, I think that there was, there was more poverty back then in some ways. And, and even the people who were pretty well off just didn't have as much as we do now. And so I think that that was something that really struck me as I was watching this movie, you know, the cars and the houses and, and just sort of the, uh, the relative poverty that you see. Yeah, I it's it is interesting because that did strike me, but less so because of uh, maybe not so much in re- the realm of comparing now to then, but more in comparing the wealth to the lack of wealth. Because I think you actually do see that, you know, when um, you see the wealthy people, they actually do have really nice houses, and well, and they're all dressed uh, in tuxes and. Yeah. Right. And so they they there's maybe some of the accoutrement that is different than what we have now, but there's still the the class divide, there's still this abject poverty that exists in the midst of that and you see that juxtaposed. You know, you see the wealthy people getting these lavish gifts as you then cut back to the kid and the tramp you know, running schemes by breaking people's windows and then offering to replace <laughs> and them. Placing, replacing the windows. I thought that was pretty great. And so in a way, uh, I guess I saw it less as a time disparity and more as a reminder that, you know, that that is, I think I was more struck by the the similarities than I was the differences is really what I'm trying to say, even though there obviously are differences. Yeah. You know, the thing that struck me and I was surprised about this and maybe it was just the particular mood that I was in when I was watching it, but I was struck by the cars, you know, the, the, the baby is originally put into this pretty fancy for the time car. Um, but you look at the car and, 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 all these all these automobiles were like this then, but they had these little thin bicycle tires almost that they were riding yeah. on. All the streets were still dirt. You have the these elements where you could just see that society just hadn't been built up as much as it had been today. And and you know, I think back to nineteen twenty one, there were probably quite a few people in those cities. Uh that didn't even necessarily have a working toilet within their house. They, you know, there there was there is, I, I I was just struck in a way that I'm typically not. You know, I watch a lot of old movies, 1930s movies, 1940s movies. They still feel old, but of a of a piece with how we live today. And the kid felt like it was it was almost like a time capsule from, mm. you know, a little closer to the old west than to modern metropolis america sure yeah and i think that it is interesting because i think a lot of filmmaking probably hasn't spent as much time in the dirt the way this film does you know again to talk about movies as an escapist medium you know we're less interested in telling the stories of the tramps than we are of the people in the middle class or even when we show lower class families, I don't think we we tend to see them in the dirt as much. Um, 
you know, we still see them on in their homes, in the streets, you know, and there's this disconnect from perhaps the dirty, dusty reality that uh, like when you see the the classic pictures from um, the Dust Bowl and right. from the Great Depression, you right. know, this, I think this definitely has echoes of that. And so I, I, I was with you there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. This would be actually a whole different podcast on whether whether those, you know, whether poverty is less visible or more visible now than it was. And, you know, my perspective is probably just a little bit different than yours, just because I see so many gall darn movies. Um, But I think that you're right when you're talking about like the movies that most people see. I don't think it's very visible. I think that I think that we live in an age where a lot of that stuff is sort of glossed over. And glossed over, you know, for CGI explosions or, you know, all manner of things. I think that there's there's some interesting there's some interesting chemistry at work within modern movie making for sure, especially when you're talking about the blockbusters. Yeah. Um, but I will say, in spite of the many things that do feel dated in the kid, uh, this is something I've thought about over the last couple of years because I feel like slapstick humor is kind of out overall in the in culture like i know that bums you out it's That's not gonna... in vogue yeah and it does bum me out because i think i think some good slapstick physical humor does have a very timeless quality to it and i think that really shines through in the kid yeah yeah i think so too i think really i was this is an old movie. This year, this movie is almost a hundred years old now. But there's a there's a, essentially a fighting scene in the middle of this uh, in the middle of this neighborhood uh, between the kid and a big old bully, and then between uh, the Charlie Chaplin character and the bully's big brother. I thought that was pretty hilarious. I thought it was pretty great. Yeah, I you was know? laughing I think- out loud. It's it's interesting because I think one of the things that 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 Charlie Chaplin really effectively did, and of course he had to do it considering the time that he was making these movies, he was brilliant at physical humor, brilliant at conveying conveying emotions and uh, actions and uh, his his what do you what do you. I'm I'm searching for the word where where his motivations there you can see all of that play out in this character of his without him saying a word. Um, it's it's incredibly how well he can convey everything that you need to know about his character without even a a, a title card to go by. Right. Yeah. I was I was struck watching this by the the significant lack of title cards, especially given how much you can actually see people's mouths moving and them having conversations. And then you don't get a title card kind of telling you what's going on and yet how you're still able to follow the movie pretty well in spite of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should try that sometime for a podcast. Just, uh, just try to let our, our faces convey exactly what we're trying to say. Yeah, I do hear. I do think that that translates well to an audio medium. So yeah, yeah, that will be worth trying out. Now, with that, like w- this movie is nearly a hundred years old, but of course, we don't want to do massive spoilers. But I am curious 
what you thought of the way the movie ends because that fascinated me and I was not expecting it. Yeah. You know, it was, it felt a piece for the time, you know, is, is all that I can say. I think, I think that, um, the kid and Charlie Chaplin, they, there's a, there's a very sweet ending that almost feels like, uh, a Charles Dickens ending, you know, where even though, and it's, and it's not an ending that would play out very well now. I don't think, I think that we would be so emotionally invested into, into what Charlie Chaplin put into this kid, uh, to watch how it ends end, um, would be, would be harder to see. Um, but I think that, that it, it ended satisfactorily to me, or are you talking about the weird angel scene? I, I'm, I am, ta- I'm actually talking about both because I, I just, it's hard to separate, like, it's hard to separate the two because they're so separate and, <laughs> and that you have this scene and you're trying to figure out what the scene is trying to t- communicate. And you're that just like, I'm not strange. Yeah. You're like, I'm not getting it. I'm not seeing how this is relevant. And then that scene ends and then you have this final very random everything's hunky dory and then the movie's done everything's fine yeah yeah and it's like it it completely like it to your point it completely skips over what is actually a pretty significant uh has some pretty significant emotional um repercussions that they could be dealing with and it just chooses to completely ignore that with this weird dream and then end the movie yeah it's a very strange thing and i think that especially considering how effective the scenes were where you see the kid being torn away from the tramp. You know, I think that, that when there's an orphanage guy who comes by and takes the kid away and the fight, yeah, that that fight. Both, man, oh man, that was really, it, in some ways, you know, this is, this is well-established on this podcast, but I'm a sucker for father son stories. So when you see, when you see that little boy being stripped away from his, his father, you know, his father figure, that's a really difficult scene in some ways to, to watch. And I can imagine people at the time who just weren't as used to movies that would have had them, them crying in the aisles. And yeah, then all of a sudden to skip to this dream sequence where Charlie Chaplin finds himself around this heavenly area where you have being seduced by an angel woman who has a boyfriend <laughs> and the devil characters are sort of slinking in and out. I think my favorite part though, honestly, Jake, there was an angel dog that sort of flew around. Oh my gosh. That was I, so loved, weird. So I good. loved, yeah, it was great. It's, yeah. it's worth watching this movie just for the angel dog, I think. Well, and uh, at, going back to the scene where there was the fight over the orphanage trying to take the kid away, and uh, they finally, you know, get the you know re- they wrestle the kid away from him, and they try to take off, and then he takes to the roof and tracks down <laughs> the car by fleeing over, like by rushing over the rooftops and then jumping into the car. I was like, this is straight up Assassin's Creed. <laughs> yeah assassin's creed is actually based on the kid i i didn't want to spoil that too early yeah yes but it's I, true that's right you've heard it here first first so uh paul what would you give 
the kid on a scale of one to ten compared to uh, you can do it compared to other silent movies no other silent movies or just movies in general so i would say honestly this is the best silent movie i have seen i i think that Obviously, it's not going to have you know the same emotional resonance or impact. I think that that we experience today when watching the movies. I mean, we're just we're just a little jaded, and I think that the that the art form of of movie making has grown over time. But I think that even just a straight up movie, I would give it a seven and a half. I think it stands up really well now. I think it's super enjoyable still. Um, if you're, if you're judging it by, you know, the context of the time, solid nine, solid nine, if not better. Yeah. I think I was going to say a six and a half (coughs) overall, uh, just because I think it still suffers from, uh, you know, the problems of coming into a modern context. Like I was remarking to my wife where we expect the music to match up tonally to what we're seeing on screen. <laughs> yeah. And, and it didn't time, quite do that. It didn't. There was a time where it seemed to be sort of this bittersweet romance, love lost moment between two characters. And the music felt like it should have been out of, you know, Nosferatu or a horror movie. And, and or maybe the lack of comedic music or more intense action music or suspenseful music in other places, uh, as well as, you know, sort of some of the lack of continuity that comes with the way it chose to end with the dream sequence and wrap up. Like, I think those things we look at now and we say, oh, that failed to connect with me the way I wanted it to. And that's where I'd give it that six and a half. But to your point, in terms of silent movies, it's actually a relatively satisfying silent movie. And so if you're into the, you know, period pieces or the silent pieces of the time, uh, it's actually well worth watching, and I would put it as a as a solid eight point two five. Solid eight point two five. What would you? How would you compare it to Nosferatu? Um, I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed it more than Nosferatu, which uh, because is preposterous. That's ridiculous. You, but that's that's fine. It's your opinion. Well, you said it was the best silent movie. You've it ever was seen, the best so. silent movie, but it didn't have Max Shrek slinking around as a vampire. That that puts Nosferatu on a whole different level. Sure. Uh, but I was, I was also really just captivated with uh, Jackie Coogan as the child. Yeah, he was great. Oh my goodness. So adorable and did a fantastic job. Like his fight sequence with the kid the yeah. other little boy, <laughs> was fantastic. <laughs> and it was like, Jack Coogan, you got this. So there you have it. The kid, if uh, you would like to watch it, if you're into that sort of thing, you like silent films or just feel nostalgic, it is available on Prime Video. So if you've got Amazon Prime, you can watch it there. Uh, but speaking of things that you can stream on places like Amazon Prime, it's time for us to talk about some COVID-19 comfort classics. Paul, don't even say it. 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 
my wife has been walking around irritating me by quoting some video she saw from Cardi B where she's like, coronavirus. <laughs> Goodness. And it's really great to my nerves. <laughs> Here we are in Rank Geeks, a segment where we like to put things in numerical order, even if they don't belong there. This time around. Oh my we, goodness we're doing a numerical order we don't have paul no we can do it we can do it i'm fine if, I'm fine. if it doesn't belong there it doesn't belong there I'm i was so- i was real my wife was listening back to a, an episode and a previous episode and i was listening to it and i said i disagree with me <laughs> that was in the wrong numerical order yeah so you're free to do that to yourself after you know when you listen back on this all right. Well, I will because I listen back on all of these. Um, but we, <laughs> with all this time indoors, we know that uh, books are fantastic. Puzzles are great. You're probably finally catching up on your crocheting. Crocheting. Uh, I have a great but, quilt that I'm making. Uh, but you still are going to have time to kill and you're going to need to go back to some classics to clear your mind, clear your head, as my good friend Paul Acey, otherwise known as Fanboy, so eloquently put it in an email. It's time for your co-video rewind. There you go. There you go. Cue Rimshot. Ba-dum-bum. So, Paul, when you were putting together your list for this COVID-19 watch list, as it were... What uh, what was inspiring, you know, your choices? What was your method? You know, my method was actually that I wrote a blog post about it for for somebody else. And, and so I I was getting that work done. And, and I thought, you know what? I could also use this for fanboy and know it all. So, oh, that, so you... that was, I'm I, I got to be honest. I'm I'm cheating. I'm using previous work that I already did. You're recycling material for our That's original right. show. Well, well, folks, like nothing but the thing. best here with pop culture, with fanboy and know-it-all, where we give you breaking news that was already broken elsewhere. That was broken elsewhere. But see, it still holds true. I mean, the stuff that I'm going to talk about is some of my favorite stuff that, that you can see online at this very second. Well, and Paul, that was really what I was trying to get at when I asked you the question. Was, oh, did I, did I give too was, much information? was not the nitty-gritty like, well, I had this idea because I was writing this blog already, but was more, here's why I selected the type of movies I selected. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, because I was thinking of green pastures on a sunny day. <laughs> no, you know what it was? It was really, the the idea behind my list, honestly, was to talk a little bit about some some things that maybe people had not seen they had not had time to see because we're all busy right i mean we see avengers endgame we see the star wars movies we don't necessarily have a time to see a lot of other stuff out there and so that was sort of what i was sort of thinking as i was going through this what what are some really worthwhile classics that maybe not everybody has seen there you go. For me, my methodology, I'm glad we we approached our list differently because that makes for good arguing. Um, I was thinking through, hey, we could be trapped inside for several months at a time. One movie <laughs> isn't going to cut it. You're, you're going to need something to watch for a while. 
and watch repeatedly. So I didn't put any movies on my list. And then my secondary dimension was uh, I don't want to leave people in abject depression uh, because that's going to be tempting already when you're not getting as much sunlight as you want. True. And so what are some things that can hopefully help clear your mind and be a positive, bright, shiny object? Not in the uh, – I tried to avoid – true bubblegum stuff, but stuff, uh, except in one notable instance, but the sort of thing that, uh, is just, I think, um, that makes in many ways happy. chicken soup for the soul. Chicken soup for the soul. Very nice. All right, Paul, with that, what's number five on your list? All right. Number five, I'm going to go with a documentary to start off my list. This is a documentary I saw maybe a couple of years ago, actually just last year. Um, the name of it is Amazing Grace, and it features the Queen of Soul herself, Aretha Franklin. Um, back in the early 1970s, she recorded a famous, famous, famous gospel album uh, that, that became one of her best-selling albums of all time. And one of the best-selling gospel albums, period. You know, it wasn't just for her. It was just for the entire genre. Um, And she recorded it live in a a church in Los Angeles. Sidney Pollack, who is probably most famous for Tootsie, he's a very, very famous director. He had actually made a documentary or he had filmed a lot of footage for a documentary based on, on this performance. But... For some reason, the audio and the video never queued up. They had forgotten to sync them somehow. And so Mm. pretty much it was completely unusable. So it sat in a vault for for 20, 30 years until a guy came back, spent years and years and years putting it together, splicing all of these little nitty-gritty things together. Um, Aretha Franklin didn't ever even want it to be released, uh, but... (laughs) Sadly, with her passing, it, it saw the light of day, and the results are amazing. Um, if you're a if you're a music fan, if you like Aretha Franklin, and she has, I think, maybe one of the best voices of all time. This is Aretha Franklin in her prime, singing some some gospel music that just that just makes you shiver. It's fantastic. Just a concert video, but it is a fantastic concert video, and it's and it's worth the see. Where can people see it? You can see it on Hulu. That is the best place to see it. Um, Also, just to let you know, Hulu has a couple of other fine documentaries that you can check out. Free Solo is on there, as is it it on Disney+. And you know a movie that I've talked a lot about on this podcast, Won't You Be My Neighbor, is also on Hulu. Fantastic. Now, number five on my list is uh, a departure from what Paul has just described and a departure from my second uh, my second uh, classifying category, but it was ranked really high on my first classifying category, which is how it ended up making the list. Uh, because there is a lot of time that can be sunk into my number five because it's a twofer (laughs) it's not just a tv show anymore and that is of course the office the u.s version which 
most of you are probably familiar with, but for those who aren't, it follows the life and times of a small, a mid-size, small to mid-size paper company in Pennsylvania and the incredibly obnoxious yet heartbreaking boss and the intrepid crew that follows him tentatively into the unknown of uh, the mid-2000s um, economy <laughs> and life and love <laughs> and everything that happens there. Um, but in addition to that, right now, um, I think I previewed this months ago when I said this was coming, but now it's here and it's established and it's going to increase your enjoyment of the office and lengthen the amount of time you're able to spend enjoying this crew. And that is the office ladies podcast, uh, where two of the main characters, uh, Pam and Angela, who are played by real life friends, Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey, are doing a rewatch podcast where they rewatch the episodes. They're going episode by episode, season by season, and giving you the behind the scenes scoop on, and they're bringing in writers and directors and other actors and uh, props department people from the office to really dive into the background uh, of the show and the humor and the poignancy that occurred on set. Um, and so in tandem, they work really well in tandem. My wife and I have been going back through it uh, in conjunction with the Office Ladies podcast. With, and the uh, the Office is still on Netflix too, which it won't be next year. So now is the time to dive in and start joining them. Hmm. Interesting. So do you think that we're going to be doing a podcast about our podcasts one day? Are we going to be doing a podcast about our podcasts? Yeah, yeah. Like re-listening and commenting on exactly, exactly. Boy, that you know what? It when feels pretty do, meta. That is super meta. That might be a little too meta since this is real life, but <laughs> maybe that's what the world's going to need when the time comes. So I'm going to keep myself open to that. All right, all right. Number four for me is a lovely animated movie. This is one that you can watch with your family. Um, as I just mentioned, I'm a sucker for father-child stories. And one of the ones that impacted me the most that I was really kind of surprised about was 2013's The Croods. Um, I think when we think about animated movies, we think about all the great stuff that Disney puts out, that's great stuff that Pixar puts out. And of course, you can watch it all on Disney+. Plus. But The Croods is on Netflix, and it has a really funny very sweet story about a dad who's trying to relate to his teenage daughter as they run to find a new life as their world sort of comes to an end you know their their actual physical world is sort of coming to an end where they were and so they're off to find a new tomorrow in a very literal way and it's a very sweet uh cartoon that that i think works on a lot of different levels Absolutely. I mean, number one, would you agree with me, Paul, that this was Nicolas Cage's best movie since Face Off? If I had seen Face Off, I might agree with you. I think it is. Oh, my. It is Nicolas Cage's best movie I've seen since Moonlighting. Moonlighting. I never saw Moonlighting, but we're going to have to add Face Off. Moonlight. Was he in Moonlight? No, he wasn't in Moonlight. He was in Moonlight. He was in Moonlight. I'm telling you. Share? Not the not the recent Moonlight. No. 
No. Moonstruck. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Hold Thank on. Thank you. All I'm right. right by a computer. Moonstruck. <laughs> All right. That yes. sounds, I was like, I don't think he was in Moonlight. <laughs> the, the Oscar winner from a couple <laughs> years ago? Yeah, that's a very, very different movie. Yeah, never mind. Moonstruck. All uh, right, number four for you. Number four. <laughs> number four for me is also on Netflix and is a documentary series. Uh, and it's relatively new, but I think uh, it adds a fun adds a fun twist to the documentary genre that it's a part of. And that is uh, a documentary called Night on Earth. And Night it's a little, on Earth. That's right. It's a little, it's a nature mini series in the vein of planet Earth or Blue Planet or Our Planet. Yet this is using new technology that allows it to uncover the creatures and the animals of the night in a really cool visual way. Like, uh, it's pretty fantastic when you see it and the effect that uh, they're able to capture of all these night, uh, all the night nocturnal movings of animals from the moonlit plains uh, to uh, they even chronicle sleepless cities and humans at night. But uh, wow. they're looking at the plains and the ocean and the jungle and the tundra, like, and what happens when normally we can't see anything. And uh, it's funny because this reminds me. That's actually me, pretty fascinating. That sounds pretty yeah, cool. It's a really cool look at something that normally you don't get a peek at. And I, it, it's funny for me because I remember being in high school and some friends and I deciding one night, one cold, foggy, rainy night, that we wanted to go cow tipping. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, cows are big and dumb and stupid and slow and we're not scared of cows. And so we go out and we get into the field and it got dark and because we were going out pretty late at night, obviously, for cow tipping. That's the only way it can be done. I think. It can only be done that way. Yeah, I think scientifically cows can't be tipped when it's light outside. Um, <laughs> but we got out there, you know, yeah. brave, foolhardy teenage boys that we were. And then we finally realized we were getting close to the herd because we started to hear them kind of moving and oh grunting God. and it's snorting moving. and stuff like that. In the Ooh. dark, though, that was terrifying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because we're like, we can't see them. Can they see us? Like, are we going to get, you know, trampled to death if we make the wrong move at the wrong time? And so all of a sudden, these big, dumb, stupid cows that uh, I had been around many times on my grandfather's ranch, who was a cattle rancher, seemed really terrifying at night when I couldn't see them. So anyways, well. Uh, yeah. And they could have Night known on, that you had been eating a lot of their relatives. So that would have that's been right. another, they another vengeance. curious level. Yeah. So Night on Earth is a really fascinating <laughs> look at even cooler animals and what they do at night. And uh, it's on Netflix and it's worth watching. Wow. That, that does sound kind of interesting. So I'm going to go with Netflix again for my number three pick. This is one that got quite a bit of buzz this, this past year during award season. Um, but of the, of the main movies that you heard on Netflix, this was the one that probably got the least amount of traction. You know, you heard a lot about the Irishman, you heard a lot about marriage story and both of those are really good, but the two popes, 
feels a little more appropriate for this time. I mean, Irishman has a lot of blood and guts. The marriage story will just make you cry and weep all the time. The Two Popes is a really delightful, almost two-person play um, featuring, you know, Anthony Hopkins plays Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, um, and then you've got uh, you've got Jonathan Price who plays the future of Pope Francis, and essentially they're talking about a lot of really fascinating, geeky things for for someone like me, and and doing it in a really winsome, warm, and often funny way. I thought that it was it was one of the more delightful movies that I had a chance to to review late last year. Yeah, I, uh, I've heard, I've heard good things about it. Um, and I probably, interestingly, it's not one that, uh, even though I've heard a lot of good things about, I have not been convinced that I want to watch it. Paul, what oh, would you say to a non-believer? It. How would you convince somebody who's heard all the good things about it, but is still not convinced? Mm, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think that anyone who has an appreciation for good acting has got to see this movie. Because it's it's subtle, it's profound, it's really moving, um, and I think anyone who has an interest in faith, honestly, the the thing one of the things that I loved about this movie is is sometimes faith is portrayed often in sort of a negative light these days. Uh, more often than not, you you see a lot of hypocrisy, you see a lot of uh, judgmentalism, and you see some of that in in this this movie as well. But it's all rooted in these these two very human, very relatable uh, spiritual leaders who really walk the walk. They believe in what they're preaching. And I think that that was, to me, that was kind of a refreshing thing. You also see, I think, a template for how, in this very fractious time, how people of very different viewpoints can relate to one another. The secret of, of actually finding common ground, even when you have some very significant and very serious differences. You don't want to gloss over those differences, but you have this element of humanity that you can share, this love of certain things that you that sort of bonds you together. And sometimes even your differences can help, you know, bring you closer together. And I think that that's, that's sort of a movie that we need in this time. Yeah, no, we certainly... Uh, feels like we... <clears throat> can't have enough of those reminders that hey we can work alongside live alongside laugh alongside people that we disagree with we can disagree strongly and love strongly and engage well in spite of significant differences yeah yeah absolutely all right number three for me um is probably even more deeply soulfully resonant uh, than the two popes sounds uh, because it's one of America's longest running documentary series. I mean, this show has covered the life and times of the average American person uh, probably more thoroughly and more consistently than any other entity that I can think of. Hmm. Um, and it, it debuted in 1989, which was my birth year. And long ago. Oh, it's been going ever since. And it's America's Funniest Home Videos. Oh, goodness. <laughs> you know, there is a whole, there is a whole internet outlet called YouTube that essentially does what America's Funniest Home Videos did 
only like a a gazillion times more of it, right? I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I remember <laughs> thinking that distinctly uh, in the early years of YouTube. I remember thinking because America's Funny Some Videos had been one of those that we had watched a lot, uh, mostly on road trips because um, for a long time because we didn't have cable, then we got cable and we started watching it more frequently. Anyways, I remember thinking as YouTube was coming into its own, like, is there going to be a place for America's Funniest Home Videos in the next decade? And the answer, I think, is a resounding yes. I think actually because of how many, like how fractured the environment of YouTube is, it's really hard to find like the good videos on a consistent so, basis. And so the curation that America's Funniest Home Videos actually provides uh, really works. And my kids love it and we love it as like watching it as adults. And it's really been a delight. And the laughter, it feels like you're connecting with random everyday families throughout America in a really interesting way uh, as we've been watching it during the, the pandemic. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Number two, what am I going to do for number two? You know what I'm going to do? I am going to offer a movie that we have talked about in a fairly recent podcast, actually. Mm. The Emperor's New Groove. Fantastic choice. Oh, before you wax eloquent on that, I forgot to let people know that um, they can watch America's Funniest Home Videos on Hulu. Oh, sorry. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I forgot to. I just wanted to make sure they knew where they could find it. Yeah, no, this is one that, that actually our very podcast made me realize how much I enjoy this movie. The Emperor's New Groove, 2000 movie by Disney. It is on Disney+. Plus. Uh, we, I, I called it out as one of the funniest Disney movies ever, and I still stand by that. It's hilarious. I won't say very much more about it, but man, I dig that movie. And, and everybody, if you haven't seen it, you gotta. You gotta see it. So you went back and you've rewatched it since the last time we talked about it? No, I don't have time, but but I know it's still great. But it just reminded you of how amazing it, it did. Was. It did because because you know, even seeing the poster, even when I see it on on my little Disney Plus queue, it makes me happy. It just makes me happy. Seeing that little llama there, I think it just it cheers me up and I think that's what we could all use right now is a little cheering up. Don't you think? Oh, yeah, I, I absolutely think that. And I think, um, to your point, one of the really special things about Emperor's New Groove is how uh, well it holds up, like on rewatch. Because for me, I often struggle to rewatch movies. I don't like watching things more than once in most cases. And there's so there's very few movies that I'm willing to rewatch voluntarily unless I'm forced to. Um, and Emperor's New Groove is one of those movies that like, you don't have to twist my arm into rewatching it because it's so good and it gets better with rewatch. And yeah, I think that's really true. Provides for such, provides for such good conversation because it's so quotable. It can just pop up throughout, you know, random conversations and like even making new friends, like within the last (laughs) couple of months. I connected with a new friend who I had met uh, online originally 
because and we bonded over the Emperor's New Groove to the point well, isn't where that great? Even, yeah, even after we hung out, we were texting back and forth about the Emperor's New Groove. So shout out to my friend Dave. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, number two for you. All right, number two for me. Um, moving off of Hulu, where I was on my last pick, back over to Netflix is a new show called Archibald's Next Big Thing. Paul, have you heard anything about this show? Archibald's Next Big Thing. I think I have heard it, but I don't know anything about it. So this was one that was not on my radar until I was listening to a podcast where Tony, the actor Tony Hale, who plays yeah. you know, Buster on Arrested yeah. Development and has been in things like Veep and elsewhere, uh, he actually wrote... The book, Archibald's Next Big Thing. And Interesting. It was sort of a way uh, for him as, a, as an adult and as a man of faith uh, to really kind of grapple with a lot of the anxiety he had struggled with for years and continues to work to overcome and the struggles of how to be in the moment when you're so worried about what's next and what could be next and the possibilities and the fears and worries about tomorrow. Um, and as he started to get counseling for that and to overcome that and learn to started to learn what it meant to be present in the moment, uh, he ended up writing Archibald's next big thing. And then that has been turned into an animated uh, show on Netflix. It's just a delight in. Wow. And, that's like really kids enjoy watching it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kids enjoy watching it. And it's got really poignant messages about how to live uh, and take care of the people and the things in front of you in the moment instead of always worrying about or looking to the next big thing. And it is well done. The animation is fantastic. The voice acting is wonderful. Tony Hale does Archibald and it's it's highly recommended. Very cool. I I think that is a recommendation. I'm actually going to follow. I'm going to check that out for sure. All right. And they just dropped a second season already. Like they just introduced it this last fall and they've already dropped the second season. So there's plenty there for you. So for my number one pick, you know what what cheers me up more than anything? Hmm. A good murder. A good murder. Well, I'm glad we're doing this podcast remotely today. I love murder mysteries. I think that that it made Knives Out super, super enjoyable for me. Obviously, it's got some problems, content caveat. It's got some issues. But I thought that it was a very, very clever movie. Uh, I'm sure you can watch that somewhere as well. But the movie that I wanted to call out is actually the old 1974 forerunner to Knives Out. um, Based on an Agatha Christie novel called Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, I was really hoping you were going to say Murder by Death. Oh, which is also a great movie, but I'm not sure if it's streaming. Fair, so Murder on the Orient Express. If you have not seen it, Jake, you really should. This is going to I land on your... Oh, you got it. This is now officially part of your backlist. Your backlist I think it actually already you. was officially a part of my backlist. Yeah, it is a hoot in its own bloody sort of way. Um, it has, it seems like, Every major star from 1974 that you can possibly think of. Sean Connery is a part of it. Uh, Just a ton of people. Maggie, what's her face from 
from Downton Abbey. You know, she's Dame Maggie Smith. Dame Maggie Smith. She's a part of it. There are just so many fantastic people who are a part of it. Vanessa Redgrave is there. Ingrid Bergman is there. Lauren Bacall is part of this, the the cast. And it's it's just a very very clever murder mystery. If you have not uh, read the book or watched one of the movies, I think that it it winds up being in a very satisfying um, end. And it's way better than the 1974 version is far, far, far superior to the Kenneth Branagh version that was out a couple of years ago. Yeah, because I have seen that version. Oh, see? It wasn't as good. Yeah. That's a bummer. So you know who did what. Right. I know the spoiler, so that will probably impact how much I enjoy the original, but I do love me some Dame Maggie Smith for those of our friends who have been listening for a while. You know, she was uh, in my top five actresses of all time. She's fantastic. I I love everything I've ever seen her in. All right. Number, number one, one drum roll. for me. Uh, it, it couldn't have been anything other than this. Uh, <laughs> and it's on Prime Video, and Paul's laughing, but he's going to agree with me when I tell you that uh, I highly recommend, if you've got Prime Video, that you add to your watch list and queue up Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Oh, there we go. Yep. Yeah, it 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 really holds up and is really just perfect, just about perfect, uh, no matter what time it is, good times, hard times. Painful times, hopeful times, anxious times. Fred Rogers, as we have talked at length, whether it was about at his documentary length. or the, the Tom Hanks movie, the Tom Hanks movie, or just because we wanted to bring him up. <laughs> <laughs> this is almost like a little Mr. Rogers fan podcast in some ways. In some ways, it, it really is. Mr. Rogers, Lord of the Rings, and uh, whatever else. Oh, apparently, it. Emperor's New Groove. Emperor's New Groove yeah. now. Uh, Brad yeah. Pitt, of course, uh, <laughs> which is ludicrous. Two thousand one, a space odyssey. <laughs> but Mister Rogers' Neighborhood is on Prime Video. It's worth going back to if you haven't. Um, kids still enjoy it. Like that was. I think I was curious to see when I first showed my kids whether or not they'd be into it. But then they began asking for it after Did we first they? watched it. That yeah. makes me happy. Actually, that's nice. You're raising your kids right. <laughs> and and he, you know as we know he just had a way of tackling hard things in ways that uh were surprisingly accessible and yet adult all at the same time um the way he would talk to kids it felt like he was talking to them like they were real actual human beings and so that makes it accessible to us as adults as well i think yeah i agree i agree so there you have it. There was our co-video rewind for you. Uh, what are you thinking about watching during, whether it's something you've never seen that you wanted to get caught up on, whether it's something you're returning to because of what it reminds you of, of a time in your life or uh, emotions that you want to experience. We'd love to hear about it. You can catch up with us on Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. And now it's time for the most least important thing.
Hey friends, here we are at the most least important thing, the way we love to wrap up every single little show of ours, where we talk about the minutia and the gargantuan, and we flip-flop them any which way but loose, and sometimes even loose, actually. So with, <laughs> with that, it's time for the most least important thing, and Paul, why don't you kick us off today? All right. You know what? I'm going to start off with something that I was watching literally five minutes before we started this podcast. Literally. Uh, literally. Um, this was, I, I, you know, there are still movies that are coming out. They're, they're often coming out on, on video on demand. And so this was a movie that I was going to be reviewing this week, uh, but you get an advanced preview. And it's called, it's this movie called Resistance. And it's about this very unusual story that I had never heard of. You, have you heard of Marcel Marceau? Jake, actually, the name sounds oddly familiar, and so, but I'm not, I'm not placing it why it does. But the name, I'm like, yep, I know it. So he is probably the most famous mime of all time. He's okay. Yep. He grew up in France. Um, what I did not know is that he was part of the French Resistance during World War II. And so it sort of talks a little bit about his experiences during the war and before the war and how he sort of gets involved with the resistance. And it also talks a lot. And one of the reasons why I thought I'd bring it up now is it also talks about his love of Charlie Chaplin. He raved when you talk about the physical humor of the kid. Marcel Marceau went on and on and on about what a great mime Charlie Chaplin was, how physically he was able to communicate lots of different emotions, lots of different actions. Um, and, and he took Charlie Chaplin really as an example of how to be a good mime. And so I thought that that was a, a fairly interesting thing. And the story itself was pretty fascinating, thinking about this, this famous mime who spent a good five years fighting Nazis. That sounds like it's going to be a fantastic movie. You know, when it, like, I'm sure the documentary is fantastic, but, or wait, was this a, you said this was a documentary, right? No, it was not a documentary. This was, oh, this okay. was a fictional. This was a, not a fictional, but a based on a true story. It started. This is a, the biopic type. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it was quite interesting. Um, it stars Jesse Eisenberg as Marcel Marceau. Uh, it's not, it would even, even before the coronavirus, it wasn't probably going to get a huge release, but it is going to be available on video on demand. Um, I think actually this Friday. So, uh, so if you wanted to check it out, it might be worth your time. Now, is that one, are they releasing it through Netflix or is that going to have to be like purchased through It is going to be video? video on demand from what I understand. Now things, okay. things in this time change really rapidly, but I think you can, you can buy it through Amazon Prime, but you're going to be paying, you know, rental or, or buying fees to, to watch it. Got it. All right. Well, uh, as most of you probably know, sports have been canceled. Pretty much all of them. <laughs> All of and them. for those of you who know me, uh, you know that that's a bummer because I like <laughs> sports and pretty much all of them. Uh, so in this time of uh, where there's a complete lack of sports news that's not related to the coronavirus, uh, ESPN actually did something really fun and they brought back ESPN Ocho. Paul, are you familiar with ESPN Ocho? It doesn't have anything to do with Ocho Cinco, does it? It does not have anything to do 
with Ocho Cinco. Uh, no, ESPN. Chad for those who don't know who Ocho Cinco is, he changed his name back. Then. Yeah, he was an NFL receiver who changed his name uh, to, to be Ocho Cinco because his number was eighty-five. Uh, no, uh, ESPN eight or the Ocho is an annual day of programming that ESPN two has started to do, uh, usually in August where they air really unique and seldom seen sports. And the name was actually inspired by a movie, a 2004 movie called Dodgeball. For those of you who remember that. Oh, very interesting. Because in Dodgeball, they created a parody channel called ESPN 8, The Ocho, and that was the channel that was covering the Dodgeball tournament. And so uh, ESPN actually kind of got, you know, got in on the joke and created one day a year where they would turn ESPN2 into ESPN8, the Ocho. Uh, Well, thanks to the coronavirus, they decided to do more than one day a year and to have an ESPN8, the Ocho day um, just recently. And if you've got ESPN Plus, which you can get by itself for about $5 a month or bundled with Hulu and Disney Plus, uh, I think for $12 or $13.99, you can actually watch all the weird sports, everything from marble racing to dodgeball juggling to spike ball to slippery stairs to stupid robot fighting and more. Um, And it is weird and wild and fantastic. And if you're into odd TV uh, and weird sports like cup stacking, I highly recommend it. (laughs) Very cool. So I can get my cup stacking fix there. That's good to know. Yeah. I mean, cup stacking is not one of the weirdest ones that they show, but is oddly like one of the most mesmerizing because it's mostly children and you just can't fathom how somebody is moving cups that quickly. No, it really is incredible. I am floored every single time I see it. It's it's sort of like watching people who who know how to solve the Rubik's Cube in like 3.5 seconds. I don't get it. I don't understand how it's possible. Nope. It's unfathomable. Unfathomable. Well, folks, thanks for spending a little bit of time with us, taking a break from your movie and TV watching to lend your ear to our podcast. We always appreciate it. And until next time, I'm Jake. I am Paul. We'll catch you guys on the flip side. Bye.